Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my, my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The, the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name's Paul. I'm the lead pastor here at the Daniel Island Fellowship. It's a joy to have you join us this morning, and I am very excited about this passage that we're going to dive into. But before we dive into it, can I just share one more word of prayer? Please bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this fall, we are making our way through the book of Acts, which is short for the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, we started last week. Uh, if you didn't, uh, if you weren't able to be with us last week, you can catch up to our website. We have our sermons under the worship page. Uh, last week, we talked about the mission of love, and this week, the title of our message is Together as One. And as we dive in, I want to begin with this question. Have you ever witnessed the brilliance of teamwork? Have you ever witnessed the brilliance of teamwork? If you have not, good news. You will soon enough, because this fall, we will once again hold our annual Hog and Harvest Festival. Who's been with us at one of these festivals before? Raise your hand. Let me uh, show you some pictures of what to expect. It's for all ages, and we will have pumpkin races. They're very competitive uh, for the munchkins. We will have potato sack races. This is not just for kids, even adults. And in fact, the adults, I think, are more competitive than the kiddos. And um, we will also have three-legged races. I don't know if you know what that is, so let me just tell you what it is. You get a partner, and you tie your legs to your partner, and you have to race together, uh, paired up down to a finish line across the field. Now, as you can imagine, it takes a lot of teamwork to do this well. Uh, my daughter heard a couple years ago we were going to have this game. So she recruited her neighbor, our friend Caitlin Ramey, and they started practicing in the front yard. They learned quickly not to practice on the sidewalk. That's bad. 
So they were doing face plants, and, uh, but they got better and better. So um, I'm going to show you a video clip of what to expect, okay? And here's the thing. You can see how fast Sailor and Caitlin move. You can also see some people failing greatly at teamwork. And I am so filled with joy to share that um, my family uh, holds to both uh, principles. Uh, my daughter, as you'll see, she wins the race, and my son, Blaze, does something far different. Here we go. That's amazing, right? Blaze. Poor John Michaels in the first service. He's like, yeah, I remember that day. Uh, and here's uh, Caitlin and, and Sailor with their victory. Um, they're not here in this service, but we did give them a round of applause in the first service. So uh, if you're thinking of competing, you can start to practice now. But it you know, these games, they illustrate something, which is this. To succeed as a team, you have to be as committed to your team as you are to your goal. To succeed as a team, you have to be as committed to your team as you are to your goal. And I think this gets to the heart of our passage this morning, which is this. As followers of Jesus, we're called to one goal, under one king, as one team. As followers of Jesus, we're called to one goal, under one king, as one team. So let's unpack these points over the next few minutes. Point one, we are called to one goal. We read in Acts chapter one, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So a quick review, we touched on this particular text last week, but a quick review of what this means. It means Jesus doesn't just save us from something, but for something. He's not just saving us from something, he's saving us for something. And I gave a little background information on the book of Acts last week. Um, the author is Luke, who's a medical doctor, so he takes detailed notes, like clinical notes, in his writing style. Acts is the second part of, of two books, one volume, two books. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and the Gospel of Luke is all about Jesus, the Savior of love. And he's basically writing an apologetical argument, saying this is why and how I've come to believe, and I want you to have assurance that you can believe too. So Luke is all about the, the Savior of love. Acts is all about the mission of love, you and me. And uh, our passage, it highlights this. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this would have been scary and astonishing for those people. Why? Well, what happened in Jerusalem? 
Jesus was crucified. Why would we hang out amongst enemies and risk our lives? Why would we go to Judea where they mocked Jesus and they mocked us? Why would we go to Samaria, which is full of half-breeds, not real Jews, right? And does this entail we'd go to those who are holding us in bondage in Rome and what Jesus is saying? Yes. I'm calling you to be witnesses to all of those people. You see, every kid on our block, every person in our building, every family in our city, every people group in our world matter to God. And they're to matter to us too. I came across a story that I think highlights this point. It's said that during the Second World War, some soldiers serving in France wanted to bury a friend and fellow soldier who had been killed. Being in a foreign country, they wanted to ensure their fallen comrade had a proper burial. They found a well-kept cemetery with a low stone wall around it, a picturesque little Catholic church in a peaceful outlook. This was just the place to bury their friend. But when they approached the priest who answered that unless their friend was baptized a Catholic, he could not be buried in the cemetery. And he wasn't. Sensing the soldier's disappointment, the priest showed them a spot outside the walls where they could bury their friend. Reluctantly, they did so. The next day, the soldiers returned to pay their final respects to their fallen friend, but could not find the grave. Surely we can't be mistaken. It was right here, they said. Confused, they approached the priest who took them to a spot inside the cemetery walls. Last night I couldn't sleep, said the priest. I was troubled that your friend had to be buried outside the cemetery walls, so I got up and I moved the fence. What would it look like for you and I to share the love of Jesus to our world, to broaden our fences to go to anyone and everyone, to go to that kid in the school, to that person or couple in your apartment complex, to that, you know, even despicable person at your work, even that family member that you've just brushed aside. God, through Jesus, is saying, yes, I want you to share my love with all of them. Jesus himself said to the disciples in John 20, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Point one, we're called to one goal. Point two, we're called to one goal under one king. How many of you have ever been starstruck? Raise your hands. You see a star and you just are fixated. I asked this question to my staff and uh, Tiffany, our director of operations, says, well, I've got a story for you. So she shared that when uh, Jonathan and her were engaged, they went to a Philadelphia Eagles game. And they were walking to their seats inside the stadium, and it's people everywhere. And next thing you know, she looks for John, Jonathan, and, and he's nowhere to be found. And she looks back, and she sees Jonathan, and his jaw is on the floor, and he's staring in another direction. So she goes back to him and she says, Jonathan, what are you doing? And he points, he says, that's Julie Johnston. 
That's Julie Johnston. That's Julie Johnston. Now, who here knows who Julie Johnston is? We have two people. We had two in the first service. Congratulations. Her name is now Julie Ernst, and she was the player of the year for the U.S. soccer team. She's a two-time world champion, and she's a champion to Jonathan. Obviously, he's a big soccer fan and Julie fan. Well, in the same way, the disciples were uh, starstruck by the ascension of Jesus. The passage continues, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand stargazing, looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You see, this was a cosmic event revealing a lasting reality, which is this. Jesus is not only the Savior of the world, he is the king. He is the king. Let's unpack this just for a minute. You see, when God wanted to send his love in the Old Testament, he would send a luminous cloud, his Shekinah glory. Think about this. When the nation of Israel was flee, uh, freed from slavery and led through the wilderness into the promised land, what led them by day? Exodus 13, verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. This same cloud was found by Moses at Mount Sinai when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, Exodus 34, with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he'd spoken with the Lord. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, when God would show up over the tabernacle, he would show up in his Shekinah glory through a cloud. Inside the temple, God's spirit would dwell. How? Through a cloud. And then in the New Testament, shifting gears, when God wanted to send a clear message, he would send angels. Think about some of the New Testament stories and in the Old Testament. But how about this? Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, you guys are going to have a baby. What? Yeah, John the Baptist. How about Mary in Nazareth? You're going to have a baby. What? I'm like 14 or 15. I'm not even married. That's okay. He'll be the Messiah. How about later, the shepherds hearing about this coming king, they're met with an angel army that sings about this coming king. How about the women at the resurrection at the tomb saying, he has, he's gone, he's been stolen. And then angels show up and say, no, he is risen and he is risen indeed. So what message is being shared in this moment? It's clear that Jesus is the long-awaited king of glory. Check this out. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel, when he was held captive in Babylon, had a dream, had a vision, which is this. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. 
coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we read that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Jesus is not only the Savior of the world through his death and resurrection, through his ascension, he is their king, he's our king, and he is the king. That is being made clear here. You take away the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus, Christianity falls apart. And so when they saw Jesus in their starstruck, that reality changed everything for the disciples. They no, no longer would risk their lives for Jesus. They would end up giving their lives. If you don't know the history, many of them died as martyrs to share the good news of Jesus to the far ends of the earth. Recognizing Jesus as king moved the disciples from fear to faith and from selfishness to service. And it begs the question, which is, do we know Jesus not only as Savior, but as King? And does that truth change everything in your life? How you wake up in the morning, I'm going to work for the King of the cosmos. How you approach problems, how you approach finances, how you approach parenting, how you approach people you see and greet. Jesus is not only the Savior, he is the King. In point three, we're called to one goal under one king as one team. And I really love this, and you'll learn why. The passage goes on, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called, called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying. And Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James, all these, catch this, with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. You see, before the disciples could go with the gospel, they had to gather in and around the gospel. There was a 10-day period between the ascension of Jesus in the next chapter in Acts, which is Pentecost, which things get really crazy in the next chapter, so buckle in. But before they could go, they had to gather in and through the gospel. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. At the end of Luke, it says they were constantly together in this period, in this season, praising God. And later in Acts 1, it says there were 120 people present, and a new kind of community is born. For those that like uh, the gritty details, the beautiful details of Scripture, 120 present, that's not an accident. You see, Luke records that because in those days, to start a new faith community and have your own council, you needed how many people? 
Amen. Amen, Coco. This is so exciting. You needed 120 people. And I don't know if anyone here this morning greeted you by saying, oh, hey, brother, hey, sister. To be honest, I used to think that was really cheesy. I know, Coco. I used to think that was really cheesy. But if you look down later in Acts 1, Peter stands up and says, brothers. It's the first time that that term is ever used for the family of God. You see, a new community is being born for mission. A new community is being born in love. And uh, you know, Christ is king doesn't just change everything. As a community, worshiping him and going with him changes everything for them and for us. We're not just called to God in Scripture. We're called to one another. In John 17, Jesus was praying, and he, these words are recorded. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am you, and may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Do you know the blessing of not only knowing God, but knowing his people, his community? That's the vision an invitation and challenge being laid out before us in Acts chapter 1. And this, frankly, is one of my greatest joys about our church. People often ask me, well, tell us about your church. And I just want to paint a picture of our church. This summer, we had, I think, over 80 kiddos participate in our VBS, our Diff Kids Camp, led by 50 or 60 middle school and high school students that were trained by around 30 adults. That's awesome. These students then, most of them were able to go to the mountains of North Carolina and grow closer to God and one another. And since then, every Sunday during communion, middle school and high school girls, after they've taken communion, go to the back of the room form a huddle and pray for each other and pray for our church and pray for our city and pray for our world. They are modeling this kind of community for all of us. More than that, I want to tell you a little of what I'm seeing in the guys in our church. I went on this men's hike. It's uh, beautiful and messy. And out of that hike came lasting relationships. There's a text chain with around 25 guys on it. And over the last month, some of those guys have faced incredible challenges. One guy in particular lost his mother and grandmother on the same day. Another guy just this week shared that his mom is now in hospice care. I've counted over 40 text messages to those men offering encouragement in prayer. Where else in the world would you see that kind of unity except in the family of God, especially amongst men? You see, the stronger our bond is in Christ, the stronger our witness is to the world. So in summary, 
as followers of Jesus, we're called to one goal under one king as one team. And I want to ask, are you willing and ready to be part of a bigger story? Jesus is calling us to one goal where we share the good news of Jesus, his love come down to restore all of us, to everyone and anyone. He's calling us to do that under his sovereign care and power, which changes how we make all decisions, go about every daily rhythm. And he's calling us to do that not in, uh, in isolation, but in unity in community. You're not alone. I'll close with this quote by the late Leslie Newbigin. The gospel is not just the illustration, even the best illustration of an idea. It is the story of actions by which the human situation is irreversibly changed. Amen, Coco. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love and your commissioning of us. God, I pray that we would know and live out your one goal. We'd broaden our spheres of love and influence, offering the good news of Jesus to anyone and everyone. God, I pray that we would surrender and find safety and courage in your sovereignty as Jesus is king. And God, I pray that we would love one another well. Both today and in the coming days, and even for every visitor in this place this morning, kid or adult, single or family, I pray that they would be haunted and drawn into this message, that they're called to more. agreement with Coco Durham, we say, amen.